would like to ask you once again to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter. You should have noticed by now that John writes very long chapters. We have spent several weeks now already in chapter 6, and we have several more weeks to go. We're in the center section of that chapter this morning. We'll look at verses 22 to 36. This also coincides with being one of the great I am statements of our Lord Jesus Christ that occur throughout this gospel. This is the section of John's gospel in which we read that Jesus tells us, I am the bread of life. So if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly. I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this morning that you would open up your word to us. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see Jesus. Open our ears, Lord, that we may hear your truth. 
Open our hearts, Lord, that your word may take deep root in them and change us more and more into the image of the Savior, in whose name we pray, even the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me begin by asking you a pointed question. Are you satisfied with your life? You know, now, this time of year, this season, is when we often consider that question. We think of all of the things that we want, all of the things that we desire, and then we even consider what we can add to our lives in the new year to come. But you see, the problem is not in seeking to be satisfied. The problem is in what we seek to find satisfaction. And so, once again, John shows us that our eyes need to be on Jesus. We need to focus on Him. Last week, Jesus came to the disciples and He told them, It is I, when He was on the water. You recall that we said that is that famous phrase in the Greek, Ego eimi, I am who I am. It was an echo of what the Lord God spoke to Moses in Exodus 3, declaring who he was, is, and is always to be. Now this week, Jesus says the same thing to the entire crowd. He tells them, I am. I am the bread of life. He is telling them, and therefore us, who he is. Jesus is the one that we must seek. Jesus is the one who satisfies. And so this morning, as we look at this text, I would like us to see two things. They're simple, but critically important. The first thing that we will see is the food we want. The food we want. There are things that we desire And we want food to get our fill of. But then secondly, and crucially importantly, we see the food we need. Because what we will see this morning is so often the case, what we want is not what we need. We need to hear from the Lord Jesus Christ's mouth what we need. What will feed us to eternal life. The food we want And the food we need. Let's begin then by looking at the crowd and by extension ourselves the food we want. You remember what's going on here in chapter 6. Jesus has just done a significant miracle. He has just fed the crowd of 5,000. And you will recall that even that is an understatement. That it was 5,000 men. And so when you add in women and children it is likely somewhere between fifteen and 20,000 people that Jesus has fed. And he's done an obvious miracle. There was no storehouse of food. There was no sharing of lunches. Jesus performed it all by his divine power. Now that miracle had not been without effect. In verse 14, we hear the crowd say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And 
Perhaps it's not capitalized in your Bible, but it may as well be the, capital T, prophet, capital P. This is an allusion to Moses' prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 18, in which Moses, the great prophet of the Old Testament. Now, we don't often think of Moses as just a prophet, but Moses was everything to the people of God at this point. We've been seeing it over and over again as the Pharisees keep bringing Moses up. But Moses said to the people of Israel, there will come a day when a prophet like me will come, but far greater. And so the crowd now looks and they see this sign that Jesus performs and they wonder, is this that prophet that was prophesied to come? But John then shows us that the people, they still don't get it. Because in the very next verse, verse 15, we see that they're about to come and take Jesus by force to make him king. That is, they wanted a king who would satisfy their desires. They wanted Jesus to serve them. They wanted to eat more to the full, to use our current text. They wanted to be satisfied, and they saw Jesus as a means to that end. And so now the people follow Jesus to the other side of the sea. Now, this would seem like great devotion. They wake up in the morning, they can't find Jesus, and so they go in search of him. And the the verb that John uses is very active. They're seeking after him. They're searching out where they can find him. They're eager, they're very active. That's what we see here in verse 24. But they can't find him. And so when they go across the sea of Galilee, they see Jesus and they are excited to find him. They come up to him and they speak very respectfully to him. They call him Rabbi. Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, I have to say that for most of us, we would love to have this opportunity that presents itself to Jesus. Just imagine. Here's a group of people that are taking the initiative to come to Jesus. This is the definition of seekers. They're coming to find Jesus. And they're eager to get answers. They ask Jesus, when did you come here? So this is a wonderful opportunity for Jesus to take his ministry to the next level. Think of what an opportunity. He doesn't have to find them. They come to him. He doesn't have to start the conversation. They're asking questions. But we might ask ourselves, what is really going on here? And Jesus does not answer like we think he would. This is something we've seen over and over again, even in our short period of time in John's Gospels. He doesn't seem eager to interact with them. If Jesus were the modern pastor of a very large church, he would say something like, Oh, I'm so glad you're here. We've been waiting for you. Look, here's some special coffee we've got for you. Please sit down. How can we help you? How can we serve you? I'm so glad you've taken time out of your day to come here to be with me. Let me explain to you everything you want explained. Let me give to you what you need. But the interesting thing is Jesus doesn't react like that. In fact, he's actually a bit off-putting. He doesn't even answer their question. Do you notice that? They ask this question in verse 25, and Jesus doesn't even honor it with a response. He answers them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, stop just a moment there. We've seen this before. We'll see it again. When Jesus says, truly, truly, or in Greek, amen, amen, that means, listen up. Stop what you're doing. Look at me and pay attention. That's your cue that Jesus is about to say something important here. And so he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So not only does Jesus not answer their question, not only does he interrupt them with truly, truly, he actually gives them a rebuke. He says, are you really looking for me? He says, you don't see the signs themselves. You just see the material in the signs. You can't get past the fish and the loaves. This is remarkable to us. It's not how we would ever interact with seekers, with people who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And John wants us to understand this. You see, they come up to Jesus and they say, Rabbi, they use a term of respect, even endearment. And yet, they're going to dispute his teachings. They're not really trying to learn from him. They're trying to acquire things from him. They just want him. Why? Well, Jesus says, it's not because you saw the signs. And that seems very odd, doesn't it? Because they certainly saw the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. That's, after all, why they're here. They know that's what Jesus has done. So what does Jesus mean when he says that you don't see the signs? I think the key is the second half of this verse 26. Because you ate your fill of the loaves. They saw the loaves and the fish, but they didn't see what it signified. And this happens Often now, people want Jesus to be remade in their image. They want a Jesus who's perfect for their needs, but a Jesus who's not too intrusive into their lives. This is, I think, one of the reasons why at Christmas time everyone is enamored with the sweet baby Jesus. Because baby Jesus is comfortable, he's cute, he's not demanding. He doesn't ask anything of us. He doesn't command us. And so that's where we like Jesus. We like Jesus to serve us. Even though, in reality, he is the master. Well, miracles, John is showing us here, are not significant in themselves. They actually point to something because the crowd here saw the multiplication of the food, but they missed what the miracle was all about. It was about showing them who Jesus is. Now, I want you to see how Jesus gets right to their hearts. As I said, he doesn't even answer their question. To Jesus, their question is unimportant. And it seems to me that Jesus could have answered their question to maybe impress upon them further. Jesus is far more sanctified, holier than I am, because if, if I were standing in his shoes, I would say, well, I walked here. That's how I got here. Didn't you walk here? Oh, you had to take a boat. 
Oh, that's because you can't walk on water, right? That's because you're not the Lord of the universe, right? I just walked on the water. But you see, Jesus doesn't even take that opportunity to once again dwell on his deity. No, he goes right to the reason that they had come. And this is, I think, a warning for us. Why do we seek Jesus? Is it so that we can get what we want? Even things that we might think are altruistic, like peace and happiness and joy. There's far too much emphasis on this today. Believe in Jesus and you can have fill in the blank. A wonderful marriage, a great family, stewardship of resources, respect in your community. But you see, you don't believe in Jesus to get something. You believe in Jesus to have Jesus. And so Jesus continues to probe straight for the heart. He asked them, on whose terms are you here? And this shouldn't surprise us that Jesus goes right for the heart because John's already told us he knows the hearts of men. And he knows that the heart is important above all other things. And so he tells them that they are wasting their time here. Their focus is on what perishes. Look with me at verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, hear this, will give to you. You see, he's shifting their attention from the mundane to the eternal. He's saying, you're focused on what will perish, what will go away. Don't focus on that. You need to think about eternal things. Jesus is defining for them what they should be seeking. It's not just food that lasts, but it's eternal life. And Jesus tells them that they can have this as a gift. Instead of focusing on the goal that is eternal life, they are focused on the nature of the work. Do you see what their response is? It's instructive. In verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now, I have to tell you, I think this is the most works-centered verse in all of the Bible. What must we do to be literally working, that's the word, The works of God. This is how the natural man comes to Jesus. What must I do? Give me the checklist. How can I fill out the list? How can I check every box? How can I do what's required of me? That's implicit in their question. What's required? You tell us, we'll do it. Do you see the implication here is, whatever the works of God are that you will tell us, Jesus, we can handle that. It's within our power. What must we do? Now, this is natural to us. We see it even in non-spiritual things, don't we? If you've ever applied for college, you know exactly what this is like. You've got a very long list of things you must do on a college application. You need to fill in all the blanks of all the things. And then if you're the student applying, there's a whole series of blanks that you can't fill in because your parents had that information. And you've got to bug them to get that so you can fill in the boxes to fill it all in all the way till you get to the bottom. And then when you try and hit enter, there's a little red message at the bottom. There are errors in your application. 
please go to the red marked boxes and fix them. And you say, okay. And you go back up and you complain. And I'm going to have to tell you kids, don't complain to your parents. Because the parent response is, at least you don't have to fill out the FAFSA. That's even worse. That's like, makes a root canal be fun. And so we like to know the universe of what's expected of us. And so that when we're done, we're done. I mean, if you think about it, when you apply for college, isn't it your hope when you click submit that you'll get an email five seconds later that says you're in? You don't want to wait. Now, in my day, you had to wait weeks for something to come to you in what's called the mail as to whether or not you would get in the school. Now you get a quicker reply, but it still takes forever, doesn't it? You see, that's the way we're built. We want to know what to do so that we can do it and so that we can get our reward. But you see here, they're showing they don't understand the gift of God because Jesus told them that they could have the food that endures to eternal life. And you see how he tells them they can have it? He doesn't say anything about doing. He says, the Son of Man will give to you. Now, you would think the appropriate response would be, wonderful, I'll take it. But it's not. What can we do to be working the works of God? Well, Jesus responds to them and completely turns the discussion on its head. He's heard them talk about the food they want. And now he's going to tell them about the food they need. They were expecting a list of things, some rules. They thought that Jesus was like the other teachers in Israel that would say, if you do this and you do that and never do this and never do that, then you will inherit eternal life. But Jesus only gives them one work. Now, do you notice that? Just a brief aside. This shows us why every word in the Bible is important. They ask for works, plural. Jesus replies that there's only one work, singular. And what is that work? Well, it's not even really a work, is it? The work of God is to believe in him whom he has sent. The only work is to have faith, is to believe, not to do anything. It's to receive that gift (coughs) that Jesus was talking about. But you see, the faith that Jesus is describing, the belief that he's describing is not abstract. It is very easy to be spiritual. You know, the closer we get to Christmas, the more spiritual everyone gets. They think about spiritual things and good habits and good thoughts as if somehow that is what Jesus is talking about. But being spiritual demands nothing. It demands nothing of us. It is actually a demand that we make. We get to stand above God in judgment. We get to determine what is right and wrong. But you see, Jesus reminds us that faith or belief clearly has an object. He doesn't say, this is the work of God that you believe, period. Notice what follows. In Him. It's a very specific and exclusive object. And if that's not enough, 
He identifies himself as the one sent by God. In him whom the Father has sent. That's very exclusive. It's very particular. It's not a vague spirituality. To have eternal life is to know Jesus. Is to believe in him. Is to trust in him and what he has done. The work that he's accomplished that the Father sent him to accomplish. There's no substitutions here. You just, you can't do that. You know, have you ever had the occasion of making Christmas cookies? And you start and you make whatever your favorite kind of cookie is. And as you're halfway through the recipe, you realize you're out of one important ingredient. Let's say you don't have any vanilla. And so would you say, well, you know what? I don't have any vanilla. Orange juice will do. Or better yet, gravy. I'll just pour a little gravy into this mix and it'll all come out all right. Right? Gravy's brown. Vanilla's brown. Let's go with it. Right? Now that's absurd, isn't it? How much more absurd is it to think that we can substitute what we want and we think for Jesus? That God will be satisfied with what we desire and we want. No, Jesus tells us it's not what we want. It's what we need. It's the provision that's been made. If you would have a relationship with God, you must believe God. You must believe in the one whom he has sent. But they still don't get it. Look at verse 30. They ask, why should we believe you? What have you done? And we might even include, what have you done for me lately, Jesus? I mean, it's been a whole 12 hours since you fed our entire crowd. They say, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, think about that. There's irony here. Jesus has just fed them. But do you see what's underlying their statement here? They're saying, well, you know, Jesus... That was a good meal and all, but it seems to me you got about another 39 years, 11 months, and 30 days worth of bread to provide. That's what Moses did. 40 years he fed us in the wilderness. Come on, show us who you are. Give us a reason to believe in you. Meet our needs, Jesus. That's because it's all about them. They want control. They want Jesus to serve them. And if we are not careful, that is the trap that we will fall into. That Jesus becomes our servant. He becomes a kindly cosmic butler to make our lives not only bearable, but joyful. Not because we have him, but because he gives us the stuff that makes us happy. But Jesus, once again, points them to God. He shows them that faith trusts God. So in verse 32, he answers, truly, truly. Whoa, here it comes. Right? I told you. It's coming again. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Moses wasn't the one that gave you this bread. 
And that bread, by the way, was bread that perished. Do you remember what the manna was like? The first few times the manna came down, you had your, your over-anxious people. They got the manna, they said, oh, this is good. And they did what people normally do. They needed three pieces of manna, so they gathered 40. They wanted to corner the market on manna. They wanted to not have to worry about manna the next day. They wanted to sell manna at a surplus the next day. But what happened to that bread? It didn't last a day. It was eaten by worms. Because God was showing them that that bread didn't last. That they couldn't trust in the bread, that they had to trust in Him to provide. They couldn't store it up. And so Jesus is telling them in verse 33, The bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says, you're looking for something to fill your belly. The bread of God, the true bread that leads to eternal life, is me, the one sent from God to bring you eternal life. But what a sad response they give in verse 34. They say, Sir, give us this bread always. Now, do you see what they're saying here? It's still about their needs. Yes, Jesus, we like the bread. Give us more bread. Always give us this bread. It reminds us of what we heard the woman at the well tell to Jesus, I always want this water. They're still thinking about the material. They're still thinking about their needs. Jesus has shown them over and over that they need to think more eternally. And what this reminds us is that a failure to come to Jesus is not a failure of the mind. If you are here this morning and you are skeptical about Jesus, you wonder what all the fuss is about at Christmas. You wonder why this guy stands up here in a pulpit and talks every Sunday about Jesus. Let me tell you, the reason you do not believe in Jesus is not because I have not given you enough evidence about Jesus. That's a lie. It's not that you don't know enough. It's not that you haven't heard enough. It's not a problem of the mind. It's a problem of the heart. You need to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to look to Him. Jesus has already told you He will give eternal life. You don't need to have everything figured out. You don't need to do everything that you can imagine. You just need to come in simple faith. And trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells you that he will save. So what is it that you should seek here? The patience of Jesus here is incredible. You see, in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, think about this. Jesus has fed them. He has endured their disputing with him. He has shown them that they cannot demand signs. And yet they keep on demanding. You know, it's at an occasion like this when I realize that sarcasm is likely or often a sin. Because once again, if I'm standing here with this crowd, I'm probably going to answer, well, what? You think I should like, 
feed another 10,000? Was the bread not good enough? Do you need bread with honey or dipping sauce on the side? What do you need? I mean, can you imagine how patient Jesus is here? That's important for us. Because you see, as we are skeptical of Jesus, if we are unfaithful to Jesus, if we are unsure of Jesus, he remains patient with us. He doesn't cut us off. He doesn't say, that's enough. You're on your own. He says to them again, I am the bread of life. After all of this, he comes even clearer with that ego me. I am. Echoes of the eternal God. I am the bread of life. You didn't get it. Get it now. It's not about bread you can eat. It's not about eternal bread. It's not about bread that comes from heaven. I am the bread of life. I am the one who satisfies. I am the one that you need. I am without which you will perish. That's what Jesus says. It's not just some better manna. This is not a competition with Moses to figure out who could bring the best bread. Jesus is telling them and us that your problems are bigger than your belly. Because you see, that's often what we want. People today want health. They want wealth. They want therapy to make them feel better. They want happiness. They want even meaning in their life. But what we need to be seeking is Jesus. He's the only one who will satisfy. What he gives is eternal life. Beyond Jesus, there is no need. There is no want. You will never hunger and never thirst again, Jesus says. Why? Because you have everything you need. Jesus is all you will ever need. He makes that clear through his description of himself. This time of year, you will be tempted to think about all the things that you need. You may even have made a list of all the things you need and given it to members of your family so they know what to give you. But have you really thought about the true need of your life? Have you thought about the true need of your soul? What do we need more than food? After all, how often do we need food? All the time. There's a reason why Jesus tells us, I am the bread of life. Jesus is who we need each and every day. More than that, Jesus is all that we need. Without him, all of life is empty and vain. But with him, we have the promise of God. Rest in Jesus today, trusting that you will need no more than him. Let's pray.